This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun, where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. Save big money on protecting your garden. Now at Menards. Messina's Animal Stopper is a liquid repellent that prevents pesky animals from damaging your garden. Available in a convenient, ready-to-use bottle. It lasts for up to 30 days, regardless of weather and watering. Save big money on Messina's Animal Stopper at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals happening now. Grammar Girl here. This week, in honor of National Novel Writing Month, I have a quick and dirty tip about how to format dialogue tags and a meaty middle about how to write action scenes. And now, on to dialogue tags. Let's say you're writing a brilliant piece of dialogue for your novel. The zombie was wearing a pink carnation. But is it said squiggly or squiggly said? I always have to look that up. It's a ubiquitous thing. You probably see dialogue or a quotation in a news story ten times or even a hundred or a thousand times a day. But for my brain, it's just background noise. It doesn't register. Well, the name comes first. The zombie was wearing a pink carnation, squiggly said. It's the same for pronouns. The pronoun comes first, too. The zombie was wearing a pink carnation, he said. From now on, I'll try to remember that who said it is the important part. So it comes first. And you can remember it that way, too. Also, when I was writing this piece, I had to look up whether dialogue was spelled D-I-A-L-O-G-U-E or simply D-I-A-L-O-G. I know I've seen both, and I found an interesting answer. The shorter spelling started spiking in the early 1980s, especially in American English, and in many cases it's used in a computing context. For example, when people are writing about a dialogue box where you input text. It seems that the computing use, the shorter spelling, again, especially in American English, has started drifting over into the older, those two people are talking, meaning... Nevertheless, the AP Stylebook recommends the longer dialogue spelling. The Chicago Manual of Style doesn't specifically recommend one spelling over the other, but it uses the longer spelling throughout its own book. My recommendation is to use the longer spelling when you're writing about conversations in a novel or play. And those were actually two quick and dirty tips. Put the speaker first in dialogue tags, Squiggly said and he said, for example. And unless you're writing about a dialogue box, spell dialogue the long way. D-I-A-L-O-G-U-E. 
And now, on to action scenes. This segment is written by a fiction blogger named September C. Fox, who I met at a writing conference a few years ago, and I bookmarked this post because I thought it was especially insightful. And now, with September's permission, I'm happy to be able to share it with you. I came to the realization last year that I didn't really know much about writing action or fight scenes. I knew some basic things, like how you should keep your sentences short and use words with few syllables, because that gives the scene a fast pace, how you need to make sure your action sequence is realistic, and how you shouldn't give a blow-by-blow description, because that gets boring. But I wanted to know more. I wanted to dig deeper. I wondered, what makes an action scene great? What makes one better than another? What makes one bad? Not in the writing style, but in the content itself. Are there cliché action scenes? And if there are, is it bad to use one? And how do you improve an action scene? I didn't know. I asked people for references, blog posts, books, anything about writing great action scenes, and then I decided to start studying action scenes instead of just reading or watching them. And you know what I'm finding? Yes, yes, action scenes do have cliches. Yes, there are cookie-cutter fight scenes, and yes, there are ways to make your action scenes better. I finally started developing an eye for action cliches when revisiting the anime TV show Dragon Ball Z. Don't get me wrong, there are some crazy fight scenes in that series, but as I was watching it, I realized there was one fighting, micro-plotting technique that was used against almost every villain by every hero. It was this. The hero gets super upset. The hero shoots about a million blasts at the villain. It's smoky. The hero is out of breath. The smoke clears, and the villain is unharmed. The creators used this sequence over and over again, and it became a cliché in that story, to the point that my brother and I would laugh every time it started, because we knew that when the smoke cleared, the villain would emerge unharmed. Soon we started saying things like, Come on, Vegeta, that fighting method never works. Because it never did. But the creators kept using it because it had a cool effect, until it was overused. Here's another cliché. A guy is fighting a really talented character whose identity he doesn't know. This character bests, or nearly bests, him. And then either the mask comes off, he touches the chest, or the character starts talking— And, surprise, he's been fighting a girl. Only, it's not a surprise, because we've seen it a million times. We know how it's going to end. Look at the fourth Pirates of the Caribbean, or Puss in Boots, for example. If you took the time, I'm sure you could think of 20 others. And here's another final cliché. A character hanging off a ledge by one or two hands, and another character grabs him just before he falls. Again, there's a reason it's a cliché, because it's tense. But we've seen it before. We know it's going to happen. Great action scenes give us something we haven't seen before, or a twist of something we're familiar with. You know that ledge example I just gave, where one character is hanging, losing his grip, and another character grabs him just in time? Lord of the Rings uses it, but the filmmakers put a fresh twist on it. Frodo finally makes it to Mount Doom. Gollum attacks him, and the ring falls into the lava. And where's Frodo? Oh, he's holding onto the ledge. But wait, some of his fingers were bitten off. 
They're bloody, so not only is his hand slippery, but he's missing those digits to hang on with. And to top it off, the expression on his face tells us he's not sure he wants to hold on. He's not sure he wants to be rescued. He wants to die. He wants to let go. Don't you let go, Sam says. And there's a new kind of intensity because we know Frodo might let go of his own free will. See, the filmmakers took a cliche and made it fresh. Author David Farland often refers to an example from one of the Die Hard movies when talking about fresh action scenes. In it, the hero's being held at gunpoint, with the villain's arms wrapped around him and the gun pointed to the hero's chest. There is no one left who can rescue the hero, and it's the climax of the story. Suddenly, the hero looks down and sees the angle of the gun. It's not pointing directly at his heart. So he shoots himself. The bullet goes through the hero and into the villain, and the hero escapes. I hadn't seen that action technique used before. It was fresh. So when plotting your action scene, twist it and take it further and dig deeper to make it unique. How do you do that? One way is to look at what the characters and setting bring to the scene. The characters, their abilities, motives, and emotions feed into the action scene. The stakes feed into the action scene, and so does the setting. Sounds obvious, right? Well, let's look at some examples. In Full Metal Alchemist, Brotherhood, one of the characters, Al, doesn't have a body. His soul has been bound to a suit of armor. This suit of armor is his body, and this gives him some advantages. He doesn't get tired, and he doesn't get hurt, though he can get damaged to the point where he can't fight anymore. The only way to defeat him is to break a seal inside the helmet because he's hollow. In one scene, Al is up against some villains. He's a pretty good fighter. He's had training. But one of the villains gets the idea to jump inside Al to try to stop him from moving. She puts her arms and hands in his, her legs in his. While she can't stop him completely, she slows him down so he can't get away. And it's interesting. Moments later, a third person comes and attacks the villains. Now the girl inside Al wants to get out, but he won't let her. Eventually, the third-party attacker shoves a sword down Al, killing the villain, but not him. So now he's stuck on the ground in shock and horror with a dead body inside him. It's morbid, but look at what the writer did. Did she go for the cliché fighting tactics? No, she used what was unique about Al to create an action scene that was fresh. Another character, Pride, named after one of the seven deadly sins, is a creature that can only move and exist in shadows. The more shadow he has, the more powerful he is. When the heroes fight Pride, they have to work around that by altering the setting, either by making it pitch black so there are no shadows, or throwing flares up to minimize shadows. The tricky part is that everyone casts a shadow so he can lurk in those as well. The writer plays with what her characters brought to the scene. She didn't go for cookie-cutter fights. It's easy to see how this can apply to fantasy, but the same principle applies to any genre. Is your character a gardener? How can that influence what he does in an action scene? Does he go for the nearest shovel to swing at someone? 
Is your character a black belt who wants to defend himself? Or an inexperienced maiden who only wants to escape? They react to dangerous situations differently. Check out your setting. Can it influence the fight? If people are dueling on a rooftop, it can start raining to make the rooftop slippery. A hide-and-seek chase scene in Disneyland would be very different from one in a cave. Look at what you can play with for that scene in a theme park versus what you have to work with in a hole in the earth. In the book Writing Fight Scenes, Rain Hall states that often the action starts in a part of the setting that's only a little risky. As the fight progresses, the characters move to more dangerous parts of the landscape until at the climax of the fight, they're battling in the most dangerous spot. She also talks about how interesting settings can offer interesting surprises. A fight in a kitchen can lead to a house fire, for example. In short, here's what I'm learning now. Look at what's brought to the action scene, what you have to work with, and sit down and brainstorm. And then brainstorm some more, and then a little more because the cliches are usually the first thing you brainstorm. That piece was written by September C. Fox. You can find a longer version of the post with even more examples and many other posts about writing fiction at her blog, septembercfox.com. That's F-A-W-K-E-S, septembercfox.com. And I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook as Grammar Girl. And remember to get your free audiobook trial at audiblepodcast.com slash gg. That's all. Thanks for listening. And if you're writing, good luck at NaNoWriMo. Not everything in life is flexible, but at Capella University your education can be. With our game-changing FlexPath learning format, you're empowered to fit education into your life without putting other priorities on hold. FlexPath lets you set your own deadlines and adjust them when needed. You can take courses at your own speed and move on to the next one when you're ready. Imagine how a flexible education can make a difference in your life at capella.edu. Hey, it's Mignon. If you want to do more to hone your communication skills, then check out Think Fast, Talk Smart, produced by the Stanford Graduate School of Business and hosted by my friend and Stanford lecturer, Matt Abrahams. You may remember Matt from his interview on the show back in September when he shared his top tips for becoming a better writer and speaker. Think Fast, Talk Smart is his Webby award-winning podcast, which has been downloaded 41 million times and has been the number one career podcast in more than 95 countries. So you know it's worth your time. Whether you're making a wedding toast or presenting at work, strong speaking skills are critical to success in business and in life, which is why Matt sits down with experts every week to talk about the best tips to unlock your communication potential. Hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, speechwriter and best-selling author Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication, and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Think Fast, Talk Smart every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And tell Matt I said hi.